Between Worlds is a documentary that was written, shot, and produced by Eddie Aguilar, an alumnus of Washington State University's Cultural Studies and Social Thought in Education program. It is an autoethnography, meaning it was about him and his journey towards something called critical consciousness. We caught up with Eddie at the 2020 Globalization Conference and talked about this documentary and how it's meant to instill critical consciousness in communities. Education Eclipse starts now. Education, news, and research. These are the conversations happening inside education, athletic training, sports science, and sport management that are going to transform each. It's Education Eclipse from Washington State University. Here at the Globalization Conference, Globalization Diversity and Education Conference is the full name, and it's the 16th annual one, so this has been going on for quite a while. I'm joined by Eddie Aguilar, who has been a fixture at this conference. Eddie, you've, uh, you've presented many times, you've been a participant many times, and a couple of years ago, one of the things that normally happens is we have some sort of artistic presentation, like a keynote, but, but from an artistic perspective, and that could be art, music, poetry, all kinds of things like that. Uh, and it, it still stands out to me, but you were the, the keynote on, of one of those artistic uh, presentations a few years ago. And it was a documentary that you had made. Tell us a little bit about that documentary, what, what it was called, and really the overall uh, purpose of the documentary. And then we'll dive down into some specifics about what it really means. Yeah. Uh, thank you, for one, for having me uh, on this podcast. And two, uh, it was an honor to be able to be a, um, a keynote for... Uh, a conference that I feel has truly shaped me as a scholar and um, has really given me the opportunity to um, feel confident in my work. But one of the things that I feel that was really um, special was the fact that um, I was still a doctoral student. And that's not usually the case. Usually people um, have already completed their work. And so I was in the process of finishing my work and I was blessed enough to be able to have the opportunity to share this documentary um, with the amazing people who attend this conference and whom are, uh, you know, highly regarded uh, scholars throughout the, I don't want to just say country, but the world, because it is an international conference. But um, I was able to share this, and um, when I was asked uh, by the conference chair, Paula Groves Price, Dr. Paula Groves Price, I was uh, really honored. Um, because I feel the theme was in connection to immigration. And so it really aligned into the things that um, the conference was, um, was based on. And so when I had presented it, um, it was very nerve wracking because <laughs> there is maybe a couple hundred people watching the work that I had done. But the thing with this uh, documentary, which was called Between Worlds was that it was an auto-ethnography, meaning that it was about me and the journey that I was taking towards this um, critical consciousness and meeting other people that were on the similar journey. And so um, in sharing that with 200 people and not just, you know, random people, these are people who are in the field doing similar work, um, but they were watching this and they were watching a story about me um, talking about this work. So it was really nerve-wracking, but was an amazing experience at the end. And um, I was so happy to be able to 
really um, share that with everyone and from there has really just given me the opportunity to continue to push this work forward and feel really confident um, yeah so so you, you mentioned critical consciousness T- talk about that what what is that exactly not necessarily just as it pertains to this conference but for for this journey that you talk about yeah so I think you know when we think of consciousness it's just being aware um, but sometimes what we don't really understand is that we're, when we're in the world, there's other uh, determining factors that uh, allow us to be um, normalized, allow things to be normalized to where we just go with the flow and just kind of are conscious of our surroundings, but don't really understand why we are just going with the flow. So critical consciousness allows you to understand the determining factors that pushes us in certain directions. So we're aware of dominant um, cultures that uh, that really exist in ways that shape the way we move. For instance, we look at certain institutions like education, for instance, and the curriculum that is set, for instance, let's say the dominant culture sets it within a Euro-centered curriculum, therefore we don't necessarily question it because it's the norm. And so critical consciousness allow us to see that this curriculum isn't necessarily for everyone, therefore we need to be able to shape it in a way that's culturally responsive. So critical consciousness allows you to see that beyond the surface and make you more aware. For me, it's it's easy to understand that this is something we call what white privilege, for example, is one perfect example of not being aware because things are the way they are in, in my lived experience that is not necessarily indicative of, of everybody. You know, I think this is the world, but it might not necessarily be really what the world is, right? Yeah, exactly. And when we look at privilege, for instance, the one of the reasons why white privilege is a thing is because the dominant culture that exists within race privileges white groups. Now, that's not to say that white people don't have privileges in all areas, for instance, class. There are many white poor people that don't have privileges that other people in higher classes have. So when we look at these dominant groups, we have to understand that privilege in its own self comes in many different facets. For instance, myself, as a cisgendered, heterosexual male who's lighter complected, has certain access and privileges that many people do. But as a Latinx, um, you know, um, you know, person navigating this world, I am also um, uh, have certain, you know, oppressive factors that work against me as well. So, you know, in, 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 in thinking of that, and when we look at critical consciousness, it allows us to be able to see that in, in ways that challenge, challenges these dominant cultures. And so, for instance, with that documentary, it's to give people an opportunity to not only just be able to be aware of it, but really in a way that sometimes we don't necessarily understand um, but there are many factors that, um, as human beings, that we, we have in terms of like our mind, body, and soul. And so in documentary filmmaking, you know, through you know, visual and through audio, um, we're able to evoke emotion in ways that really transcends a lot of you know, the meaning within the work. And so basically it's, you know, it's an art in which there are many different facets, but people just watch it and sometimes don't have the critical consciousness to be able to see that. But however, there's a lot of things to it that's really you know, involved in terms of trying to evoke that. Take us through some of the elements, because this, this is still a story, right? Take us through some of the story elements that, that existed in this documentary 
what struck me immediately is you talked about the Dodgers, right? Um, and and uh, you use that as a catalyst or a jumping off point to uh, to get into some of these really critical issues. But take us through a couple of those things, those life experiences that you, you bring up and, and why that mattered to the whole theme of, of this documentary. Yeah, and speaking to that, I think like, you know, sports is a national pastime in our um, country and around the world, really. Um, and so I still say baseball is the national pastime, but you're probably more right by sports. <laughs> yeah, sports in general, because we know like soccer, football in yeah, around football. the world is 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 what the national pastime. But I agree. Some people would probably argue um, American football. But anyways, uh, yeah, you know, we know that's a very big uh big thing a big pastime for people in general sports is and sometimes sports is such a big thing that it's been normalized in ways that we don't necessarily see the factors of these um oppressive experiences and so one of the reasons i mentioned the dodgers is because that's you know um one of my just you know <laughs> childhood you know um experiences that i absolutely love and to this day you know follow the los angeles dodgers and it's just yeah it's one of those like teams that i just follow it's you know tied to my childhood and to this day just you know as, as a just love the game and so it's a it's a team that i just love and so i think what i was trying to emphasize with that was just within my own personal experience something i adored um and have adored um is that when we look at the historical context of this team we can see that there's been a lot of um oppression just within it and yeah sure it broke the color barrier with jackie robinson and sure but you know there's other things within that when los angeles dodgers um, moved to la when the brooklyn dodgers moved to la um and uh, where the stadium is currently located, which is, I think, the third oldest stadium in all of stadiums that exist with, um, I think it's uh, Fenway and... Uh, I think it's just Fenway now, isn't Fenway? it? Fenway? I think I think, number two? I think it's just was Fenway. Was it Chicago? Was the number two? No, they now? redid there, so... Yeah, the White Oh, oh, oh yeah. Um, the oh, Cubs. Chicago Cubs. 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 Wrigley Cubs, Field. Yeah, Wrigley Field is number two, Yeah, right? Fenway and Wrigley. Yeah, and then Dodgers are number three. Yeah, the they're Chavez Ravine. And Chavez Ravine, right, is in a location where in L.A. Um, there was a community of, you know, Mexican-Americans that lived there. But we don't necessarily know that these people were thrown out of their homes and were literally forced in, and, and taken out. And people like me, who are like my family, my cousins, my relatives, um, my ancestors were literally just thrown out from where this stadium exists, the stadium that I've been to um, hundreds of times, and I mean that, uh, I'm not exaggerating with that amount, it's, uh, again, it's such an important place and, and game for me, but um, when looking into it, there's such an oppressive uh, history with it. So what is it to say, do I stop adoring something that is so special to me, or do I just in the end, become aware of these things that everything isn't so simple, right? And so um, there's never necessarily a definitive answer and Western uh, paradigm allows us to think in this binary sense that things are right, wrong, black, white, on, off, but it's not, you know? There isn't, or this very reductionist way of thinking 
this is finite and this is the way you should think. It's not. It's it's not so easy to pinpoint. And and so it's not to say that I'm not still watching the Dodgers because I am. But I'm un, I'm aware of this situation, and I'm not necessarily completely complicit within what has happened there. This is certainly in the element of news that is timely, right? I mean, this is something we have seen in the last few years dealing with things like flags and statues and things like that, that it is our history, right? Yet they are tremendously discriminatory or, or they are symbols of, of something that was racist or, or things of, of that nature, right? Do you ignore or do you at least have to keep in mind this was this was you yeah right? and i think one of the things that dominant cultures do very well especially oppressive ones is that it uh, erases um those in the margins and the stories and the cultures and so uh if we get rid of things that that share that i think you know we'll just be um contributing to the erasure of what existed so we have to be careful you know for instance the statues and i'm not saying they should exist um within where they're at because i think they were locators to remind people that they were um you know um that they were in con they were being controlled and dominated by a certain group but what i'm saying is that maybe there's a specific place that we should put them for instance a warehouse or um, museum or museum right or in some places where we still preserve them but we still for instance um, are able to keep them as a reminder because there's a lot of time as we move on with certain generations millennials and generation z um, we're starting to see for instance the erasure of um, the genus genocidal acts within you know uh, the holocaust and that i can't even it's it's mind-blowing the fact that people are even questioning the fact that if this even existed or not and that's scary right because there's going to be a point of time that there will no be no longer be survivors to remind people and there will just be certain artifacts and so i think it's very important to preserve that but it's also important for us to um, be critically conscious enough to understand the way these systems act to try to manipulate the way we function as a whole, as humans. Yeah, that is a tough pill to swallow, though. If you're on the receiving end of those symbols that were oppressive, you know, uh, discriminatory, hateful, to continue to have those in, in a place, but, but there can be that long-term detriment. You, you've just potentially had history of oppression wiped out. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. And if, if I'm not mistaken, I think in Germany, um, and I don't know this very well, but um, from what the, 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 the little that I have read or have heard is that um, there are reminders that this atrocity happened mm. there, right? And so um, I think that's something that we don't do well here in this country and the atrocities that have been committed here. Um, for instance, there should be more reminders of the genocidal and cultural genocide of Native Americans. There should be more reminders of the slavery and the genocide of, you know, um, the cultural genocide of Africans who were brought here as slaves, you know, to build this country. And so there are museums here and there, but I feel like that's not enough. We should be talking about these things in ways that's giving us the opportunity to reconcile 
um, a lot of the devastation that has occurred and you know from internment camps to relocation to what we're seeing now in children in cages and so um, I think these things are really important but I think what's even more important is to be able to be conscious enough for you to determine um, the impact of these things for yourself and that's where I talk about critical consciousness to be to have enough agency within yourself to be able to understand these things to where people won't shape you in a way to make you feel this is right or this is wrong but for you to have that ability to see it for yourself and I think that really gets to the crux of, of what's the point what's the why of this documentary because you certainly gained something I'm sure maybe you could talk about that just in the process of putting this together does it have an impact on those that view it yeah and I think that's the importance of research and the work that we do in the cultural studies program um, is that it isn't just take you know we're not just taking things and for ourselves for our uh, PhD for our publishing but we're giving back you know and I think it's so reciprocal in so many ways because um, like you were saying it isn't just you know for me becoming a person that can help communities but it was so important for me as a human being to be able to understand these things in such a different level and so the work was very um, influential in terms of, uh, you know, introspective understanding of the work. And so I am a different person after completing it. And usually people are different people uh, after finishing their dissertation, have the thousand yard stare. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, but for me, it really was life changing and has been really pivotal with the work that I continue to do, and that's the work of trying to instill critical consciousness in communities. And as an educator, um, I don't do it in the traditional sense of just you have to be in a classroom. I do it in many different ways, and one of them is within documentary filmmaking. And so I'm so blessed that I had the opportunity to have an amazing chair as Dr. Uh, Paula Groves-Price to uh, not only um, allow me to, to pursue such a research, but to help shape me into uh, a scholar that did it in a very credible and authentic way that, um, you know, uh, that is accepted amongst um, peers in the, in the field. And so um, that's important, right? Because um, not, this isn't just pointing a camera shooting and recording people. This is done in a way that's rigorous and will be able to hold up uh, within academia in general. And so uh, it's a process. And so it's an important process in so many different factors, but especially personally for me. And I'm so grateful for the people not only um, involved in helping me do this, but the people especially in the film. Now, you have had experience where cameras just been pointed at you and and uh every once in a while i go back to youtube and i look at the edmundo aguilar stand up from your days as a news reporter i hope that never comes down because that's an artifact that talks to me it shows great personal growth yeah. talk about that day when you were a tv news reporter yeah. you were living the dream at least uh that's what it looked like you were doing all this cool stuff anybody sitting on their couch watching the the tube would be like man this guy's this guy's cool but were you making a difference then and compare that to what you're doing now yeah you know um i'm 
you know, life's funny in a way, and and I'm really, um, as I get older, I see that you know things do happen for a reason in ways that you know one thing leads to another. And so when I finished undergrad, I was a TV reporter and. You know, and I don't say this in a way to brag, but I... I you were good, though. I, I've seen I've seen the stuff. Yeah, I mean, I was a top 20 market. You know, I had an agent. I, you know, was courted by New York, which is the number one uh, market. And so I had potential within the six years that I had done it. And if I stayed in it, there's, there's a good chance that I would have. But to be honest with you is that... Um, in doing the work that I'm doing, and for instance, the work that's grounded and situated with a Gloria Anzaldúa, which is a Chicana queer feminist in whom I'm so grateful to be able to um, draw from her work, but uh, looking at it now and understanding what I was feeling, what she calls the falcutad, which is this, this feeling inside, it's this intuition, and I feel I had that before I really even was doing any of that work or reading any of that work, but when I was, you know, in Sacramento, I was basically being hired in places because I spoke Spanish. And so I would be able to go to communities and interview um, people within the Spanish speaking communities. And so I was feeling like I was doing more, I was exploiting more than I was really helping. And, and at, I was trying to tell myself that I was, uh, that, that I was um, informing communities and I was helping. And I knew I wasn't. I was lying to myself. And by the end, I was like, I got to do something different. I can't. I, I am truly, really exploiting my communities. And in the institution of media, and I now being able to critically look at that, I can see how big it is in shaping um, people and normalizing a lot of oppressive acts, right? For instance, we see um, men of color. We've seen black people uh, with their mug shots being shown, but yet someone like Brock Turner, who was, you know, um, found guilty of raping someone, and he's, you know, in a suit and tie, you know, and so, like, the media has such a powerful uh, um, capability of normalizing a lot of these uh, oppressive acts, and I was part of it. And so, um, for me to be able to use these skills as a storyteller, because I do think I am a, um, and, and I'll own up to this, I do think I am a natural storyteller and have always been, and that's why one of the reasons I went into uh, news media. But uh, I have taken this to the academic level, to the activist level, and have been able to utilize it in ways that um, really is doing what's being done in that documentary, for instance. And so, um, yeah, you know, as a, pre as a past TV reporter, and the, re and the, way, the reason that video is still on YouTube um, is, honestly, I don't know why it's still up, but you, I, you the need reason to leave I, it. <laughs> you, you, for, yeah. for my own free entertainment. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I show it to students, too, um, that I teach, too, just to give them context and what sure. I used to do. But, <laughs> um, but I do have it, uh, I, it, one of the reasons I did have it on there wasn't just for my own vanity, but it was because, uh, we have what we call demo reels in the in in the field and so we needed those to get jobs to show what our work is about and so uh that's what that is is it's a demo reel but um but yeah so um, got your stand-up montage it's my yeah yeah you make fun of i yeah thank you for the only ride. difference between you you and me was uh you know you don't have a, a face made for radio like uh, i do right no, yeah no. Uh, I, you know, I'm very expressive. I, I use my hands a lot when I talk. And, um, you know, it's funny because I was told a few times that 
to not do that as much. And I calmed it down a little bit, which is true. I think it was a little extreme for TV. But at the same time, you know, it is a cultural thing, too, where people talk with their hands. And I still do it. And I'm, I'm unapologetic about it. I talk with my hands, and I, and I still do. <laughs> You're doing it right I'm now. Doing yeah. doing it right now. And so uh, just thinking of it. So um, if somebody were to want to watch this documentary, yeah, uh, what would the easiest way for them to, to go about doing it? Yeah, that? you know... Our listeners. Yeah, no, that's a, that's funny that you mentioned that today, actually, because I sent it out to a couple other educators whom are amazing and doing great work. So people that I have in the film, and I'm not so worried, so much worried about myself, but I am worried about people in my work in terms of consent. And many, and everyone consented in being in it, but I don't have it open in terms of anyone just having access to it. So what I do is, if people want to use it, is I have people contact me, and then we discuss what they're using it for, um, and uh, and then I'll share it with them. So I have it at Google Drive, so it's a, it's shareable within a link. But but it's important that I go through the process and don't just leave it out in the open, right? Because as we know, uh, social media can just be really just um, a cesspool of of just nastiness and I don't and I and, and I want to protect that film as mu as much as I can but it, at the end of the day it stands on its own but I, but I do want to protect it within that if that makes sense would some level of that cesspooledness if that's a word in protecting it from that does it also deprive potentially people that could really benefit from yeah. being able to see that that might not otherwise yeah. see it. You know, and that's a, you, high risk, high reward. Yeah, I guess. and that's one of those things that I kind of like. You know, I'm not. <laughs> you still battle with this internally. Well, because I'm not really good at you know um, self uh, advertising my you know myself and. Um, that's why I approached you about this. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, and there you go. And you know, the, yeah. you haven't you haven't volunteered in the last couple of years. Well, so there you go. No, and I'm, I'm more than willing, but. Uh, you know, I, it's one of those things that makes me conflicted because I have published uh, a chapter of, on this research and the link is accessible within that chapter. But academia in its own self can be really gatekeeping in terms of not necessarily keeping its scholarship available to people. In fact, the book that this chapter is published in is like a hundred and some dollars. Like, who's going to buy that? So it does make me wonder, like, should I be just be putting out there? But at the end of the day, I feel like if you are an educator and you are looking for things, you will find it. And that's, in essence, I say that as an educator myself, you do the work and the conversation in itself spreads amongst people. So um, I, I don't think I'm depriving anyone necessarily, uh, but uh, I do hope that um, it does spread in ways that people want to share it. So the downside, but it's actually going to be an upside, is obviously I do not have a link then to share with the uh, the little narrative with the listeners. But I may end up saying, "Hey, contact yes, this guy." Yes, absolutely. I have because, my contact info. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we, we may I do just have do a that. trailer. I can uh, give you a link to a trailer. Oh, okay. Yeah, I we do will do that. Trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah so because I, I think this has incredible potential, and I, I think we've whetted people's appetite now yeah. for this. And then, well, especially uh, you know, you being um, you know 
communications director with the uh, College of Education. So this is very academic. So you know your listeners will be more in tune to this, whereas opposed we know to who they are right, <laughs> as opposed to necessarily being in the general cesspooledness, as you said. Hey, uh, Twitter, here you go. <laughs> yeah, and so it, like Lord of the Flies. So and and that's what I'm saying is that it's this is going to be available in areas that um, are respectful, or at the end of the day are more conscious, right? Mm. And go back to that work, are more conscious of this work and it isn't just this propaganda video, right? Which some people might determine it as that. Hopefully um, I can give you a link to some of my stuff that you can post on there and people can click on it and see some of the work that I've done. Well, Eddie, it's always good to catch up. If nothing else, I know right back here next year yes, at this time, uh, I will uh, sure, surely see you again. Uh, yeah, good catching up. Yeah, and I, I will not forget anytime soon the the documentary yeah. um, that you made, but uh, uh, just talking to yeah. you about this. Well, is, hold on a sec. Yeah. If you don't mind me saying this, like I do want to say that these things aren't necessarily easy to do. They require a lot of... Um, equipment and money and so i was so fortunate because you so in the you, college of education if you would like to donate yeah, yeah. No, no 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 not that i'm saying is that i was really fortunate because you were one of the people who allowed me to use the equipment to complete this project which was part of the college of ed which was connected to my um you know program cultural studies and social yeah. thought and education and so um, it's all connected but without this equipment, I wouldn't have been able to complete this. And so I'm really grateful um, to the college, to you, and, you know, in essence, um, you know, how important it is to have these things to do this work. And so, um, you know, there are people out there that are doing things with less. And that's the amazing thing with technology, which I'm currently teaching about, too, is to be able to be kind of uh, guerrilla style, you know, use your phone and create different stories within it in ways that is so captivating and so there's opportunity to do things in so many different ways and yeah and so but at the end of the day this uh documentary did require a lot of equipment and so i'm really grateful to you also uh yeah thank you yeah no it was our pleasure we saw the uh, partnership yes there and it was it was definitely a collaboration that fit within the uh the mission of of what cultural studies was so yeah, but if they do want to donate, <laughs> yeah. Eddie Aguilar, thank you so much. I uh, appreciate you joining me on Education Eclipse. All right, thank you. You've been listening to Education Eclipse, a College of Education podcast from Washington State University. 